0: Welcome to Sisters Web, where me and my very scary but very, very clever sister Meryn Somerset-Webb are going to chat all things finance, fashion, interiors and anything else we find along the way that we think might amuse you. Meryn is editor-in-chief of Money Week as well as a columnist for the Financial Times and sometimes they even let her on Question Time and if she's ever on there she
1: will be wearing a the Web shirt. Correct? Always wear a Tabitha Webb shirt, always. And I'm sure that everything and one I've ever worn on one of those shows is sold out instantly, right? Absolutely. I mean, you are my biggest influencer. And I also wear them, I do a show every year at the Edinburgh Festival, which of course will not be happening this year, no. uh, which is based on, I do it in uh, Adam Smith's old house. So it's based on um, his books, Wealth of Nations and Moral Sentiments. And obviously that's a very... Uh, uh, capitalist driven thing, but highbrow. Highbrow market orientated, not highbrow, but very markets orientated. And so when I do that, I wear one of your shirts every day. And to try and satisfy everyone, I try as often as I can to wear one of the ones that you've made with little pussy bows. Yeah. So that I can channel Margaret Thatcher. Not so that you can say I'm wearing a pussy bow. No, for all the capitalists in the audience, but also, you know, for, for the liberals in the audience, look, look nice too. Okay, good book. Well, that, that's great to know. Um, and
0: the most annoying thing about you that grates on me the most is that you're nearly always right. So you've spent your entire life uh, reprimanding me about things, lecturing me about things, telling me that mm-hmm. you're right when mm-hmm. I'm wrong.
1: No, no, I never say you're wrong. I never say you're wrong. I just say I'm right and you, you extrapolate the rest.
0: <laughs> you have definitely told me categorically that I am wrong on many an No, you're not even going to deny it. Okay, fine. <laughs> The aim of this is to try and get some really great information out from Erin that makes sense to everybody else. You haven't even introduced yourself. What if there are people listening to the podcast who don't know anything about you? I mean, that could, that could happen, right? That could happen. Nope, nope, nope. think everybody knows who I am. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But why don't you tell
1: us a little bit about you? Tabitha is a you know, well-known fashion designer, particularly well-known for her beautiful silk shirts and for her column in, in Hello! magazine in which she writes about (laughs) fashion and celebrity. Tabitha has a massive following on Instagram.
0: Well, I mean, let's be honest, it's not quite as big as I'd like it to be. Constantly trying to do amusing things on there so that more people follow me. But gratingly, I've lost 300 followers in the last week when I even put my baby up last night to try and get more followers. That was
1: such a beautiful picture. The one of her in the little, little yellow raincoat. Oh my God. Unbelievable.
0: I know. And you would think that would have gone viral and I'd have woken up with a hundred thousand followers, but alas was
1: not the case. Maybe people think you shouldn't put your children on social media.
0: Look, she destroyed my body, she pretty much destroyed my life. So on that basis, I feel I can sell her with no guilt. Oof. <laughs> no. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what she says about that when she grows up. Huntshi. <laughs> Because if she's as feisty when she's 18 as she is now, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that. I mean, her temper is so extraordinary. While I was waiting to do this with you, I was just flicking through Facebook as you do. Do you not think it's the weirdest thing when you come across those people who we're at primary school with? So I was just going through and I came across some of those people we're at primary school with in America. And it's so weird to see them like 35 years on where they've all got to, what they're doing, how they sit around their oak bars.
1: Oh, I think it's lovely. I and mean, I didn't have any many friends at junior high school in, in America, but I had one or two very good friends. And one of them in particular, uh, Barb, Barbara, I can still see her on Facebook, and I can see what she's doing. And I can see her children. And um, I haven't spoken to her very much, obviously, why would I? But you know, it's a long way. But uh, when uh, during the, the last uh, US election, and when Trump was elected, I did talk to her about uh, how people felt in the Midwest, and uh, how she felt, and uh, how she voted, and all that kind of thing. It was really interesting, and I was very grateful for that connection from the past. I don't use Facebook very much, but that's one of the few times I would say that I found it incredibly valuable to reach back many years and and remake that connection, which reminds me, I'm going to give you something to put on your Instagram, which is a (laughs) photograph of you, me, and our other sister, Julie, when we had just moved to America, and I must have been 10 you must have been five. Julie must have been eleven. Is this just before you both got your perms? Yeah, no, long time, but a long time, but long time before that, long time before that, and it, it, we're both, we're all on these brand new bicycles. We're talking 1970s here for young people. 1970s was a tough time in, in in the UK. You didn't get new bicycles. Moved to America, everyone had a new bicycle, and there's this picture of the three of us on these bicycles, just beaming. Which I just tripped over today. <laughs> God knows. I'm going to send that to you. You can put that on your Instagram. Okay, send that
0: to me. That, That will go viral. Now listen, off to finances. I heard today that apparently millennials all over the place are buying up oil and gold. And I know that you are a massive lover of gold. Everyone always listens to what you say about gold. In fact, I think, and I could be wrong, you've made quite a lot of money out of gold. But seemingly it's meant to be a safe purchase in an economic uncertain time. How do you feel about that?
1: This is one of the most bizarre stories. Uh, You you know, you you said to me earlier, millennials are buying oil and gold. And I said, they can't possibly be. But it turns out that that you are right. There are reports from brokers that that this is happening. Now, one of the first things, you said I was right. OK, how about this? You were right that it was in the newspaper. OK, great. That works, <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, it's something, it's something, isn't it? I'm going to take it. <laughs> anyway, there have been reports from stockbrokers everywhere, from the, from the platforms on which you can open accounts and trade, that they're seeing lots and lots of new account openings, particularly from younger people, and they're seeing accounts that haven't been active for a long time, suddenly active. And their response to that is to say, oh, look, so everyone's suddenly getting interested in the stock market. And it, it's half that. I mean, but it's largely because one of the things that people are doing in lockdown is admin. They're doing all the admin things that they meant to do ages ago. So people are getting their personal finance sorted out. And one of the things that people do when they get their personal finances sorted out is they say, well, I better get my ISA going, or I better look at that investment account I opened, or I better do something about that. And once they've opened the account or gone back and found the account, remembered the password, what are they going to do? Over the last four weeks sitting at home, they've got to do something. So oil and gold. Now, gold is a very bizarre thing for young people to buy. It's a I always recommend that my readers hold between five and 10% of their portfolios in gold or gold miners or gold exchange traded funds, which is just a, a way of tracking the, the gold price or tracking gold equities or possibly a little physical gold. I mean, if you're going to go all the way with gold, you might as well have some gold coins or something in your house, in crisis investment, but it's in the main considered to be a hedge against crisis, but in particular a hedge against inflation. Mm-hmm. So when, when, Prices are going up when money is less valuable than it usually, or When money becomes less valuable over time, which of course it does, just sometimes sometimes fast and sometimes slowly. Gold maintains its value. So you can argue, if you want to, and a lot of people do, that the real value of gold has stayed almost the same for 2,000 years. You could have bought a nice suit of clothes with the same amount of gold 2,000 years ago as you can now. If the price of things goes berserk, if inflation goes berserk, gold is a fantastic hedge against that. Now, the thing that I find interesting about this is that most young people today have almost no experience of inflation. Mm. The last 20 years have been a very, very low inflation period. We've been on the edge of deflation a lot of the time, i.e. prices falling rather than rising. And right now, most people believe that we're going to continue down that vein. They say, look, the economy has been destroyed. There's way higher supply of things and there is demand for things. Therefore, prices are much more likely to fall than to rise. So you look like that and you think, well, why would young people buy gold? And if they are buying it, it's because they're, uh, they're agreeing with me, which is amazing of them, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Because I think that from here, there's a very strong chance that we will see a sudden burst of inflation over the next maybe two years, maybe three years, who knows? But because of the amount of money that is being printed by central banks, the amount of spending that is being done and promised by fiscal authorities, by governments, there's a huge amount of cash going into the economy, huge amount. And if the lockdown and the turndown in the, in the global economy is not as intense as the authorities currently believe it to be, you may well see a big burst of inflation a couple of years out, or even towards the end of this year, if suddenly everyone comes out of lockdown and is mad to go out and spend, spend the government's money somewhere. So it's an investment that I always recommend, but I think it's a really interesting investment for, for young people to be getting into at the moment. And oil is another fascinating thing. Yeah, but isn't the oil price really low? Oil well, price is extremely low. I mean, there was a, there was a, which is obvious, right? So you know, what do you need? What do you need oil for driving, flying, etc. cetera? But um, at the moment, nobody is flying, almost no one is flying except for, of course, the several thousand people who arrive in the UK every day with no quarantining or testing. And the really rich people you get in their private jets. And the really rich people in their private jets. And of course, uh, you, know, you need oil to, to fuel your super yacht as well. But in the main, you don't yeah. need much of it. Very few people driving, not much traveling. So the main things that we use oil for are no longer required. So if there's been a huge drop-off in demand for oil. There hasn't been the same drop-off in supply of oil. So oil is still pumping people aren't buying. So the oil price is is very low. There was uh, also great excitement um, a while ago when the oil price looked like it had gone negative. So, you know, the the idea was that uh, the the price of oil is negative. You could be paid, paid to take it away. but that's more complicated than it sounds because there are several different types of oil. As a complete ignorant punter,
0: I sit here going, well, what you say makes complete sense. And if I was sitting at home looking to invest, then oil and gold, after what you've just said, would make total sense to me.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Because I mean, oil stocks are very cheap now. Yeah, oil is very cheap. And it may be. But again, this very much depends on your view of what happens to the global economy going forward. Well, I'm going to come
0: out of this and party like you've never seen and I'm continue to spend a lot of money. And I think we're all going to have a great time. Cause there's going to be so much
1: money in the global economy. Yeah, but not everybody will have a lot of money. And it all depends What the employment rate is when we come out the other end. It depends on all sorts of things. And it depends on how fast we come out. You know, the big conversation in the global economy and among economists and analysts is what shape is the recovery? So the most optimistic shape is a V-shape. We've come down, we yeah. bounce straight back up again. Yeah. And then you have the, the Nike swoosh idea where we've come down, but we go back up again on a slightly uh, less steep trajectory back to where we were. Or you have the, the bath analogy where we've come down and we're going to scrape along the bottom for a while and then ease back up again. Or you have the, the, the really the worst one where we come down and then we stayed below trend growth for a long time. What's your opinion? I'm slightly with you on the rebound being quicker and and sharper than a lot of people expect. I mean, remember that while unemployment has gone up a lot, for example, in America, people have also been paid a lot to be unemployed. So unemployment benefits in the US have gone up massively to the extent that an awful lot of people are actually receiving more money on a weekly basis than they were when they were employed.
0: It's, uh, It's interesting today to see that actually Victoria Beckham has backed down on furloughing her staff. I mean, she's been getting so much abuse for that. And she has said today that she's taking that back, she's not gonna furlough her staff and she will actually support them herself, mm. which I actually thought was quite, quite a big thing and quite a
1: massive thing for her to do. Well, I think it's quite interesting, but you know, there is, there is this dynamic now. If you remember back to 2008, when we bailed out all the banks, et cetera, there was a view then that we had used public money to bail out a group of undeserving people who couldn't have been less grateful, and that was extremely expensive for the taxpayer in general, for communities, for populations, and the bankers just sort of got away with it completely. Now, this time around, we're not just bailing out one sector, we're bailing out basically every sector. And there is an obvious view that you can see, and Victoria Beckham is an an example of this, that people should not be taking money if they don't need it, that people who Mm, do take taxpayers' money should then behave better. So you shouldn't pay big bonuses to people if you're taking state help. You should be very careful about the dividends you pay to shareholders if you're taking state help. And then, of course, there's this drive to say, okay, fine, if the government is going to be involved effectively in the economy in a much more uh, all-round way than it has been in the past, it was effectively going to be owed money by pretty much every company in Britain. Yeah. Everyone behave better, wages have to be paid better, the minimum wage has to rise, uh, sick pay has to be improved, etc, etc. So there's that dynamic out there. And uh, what's happened with uh, Victoria Beckham is a sort of tiny little little part of that. Everyone should be pulling their weight rather than relying on state for possibly undeserved bailouts. It's interesting with
0: retail because there, you know, some areas of retail are actually absolutely booming. So online retail has kind of increased, I think, by like 75% in March and really specific areas of the market as well. So obviously loungewear and food deliveries.
1: Hang on, what the hell is loungewear?
0: Oh my God, come on, come on. It's like a cashmere jumper with a pair of cashmere trackies. Do you know what the weird thing is, is that- What would you wear those for? You can't do Joe Wicks in cashmere. Listen, I can't do Joe Wicks anyway, as we've discussed. I literally can't do any of his exercises. So I've given up, I'm doing aerobics. It is aerobics. It isn't aerobics, it's an exercise with a break. And then an exercise with a break. I like to go full throttle for 20 minutes, you know, with a little bit of a leg warmer on. That's all I'm saying, it doesn't work for me. Anyway, so the weird thing about these cashmere track seats is they're really trendy and everybody's wearing them and they all cuddle up on them at home. I even make them, we even put them in our line and I still don't get them. Cashmere bottoms, unless you're a size eight, look ridiculous, they hug the cellulite, they're quite uncomfortable to wear, they're quite hard to wash and yet everybody wants them didn't get it put on an old pair of sweatpants. now and who are these people cuddling up
1: where do people have time for this
0: because a lot of people seem to have a lot of time to cuddle on their sofa and then take a picture of themselves and post it on instagram looking like all they do is cuddle up on their sofa while they watch netflix
1: okay i'll tell you what why don't you send me a cashmere tracksuit and i'll see what i look like cuddling up in it i think you might
0: absolutely destroy all my sales do i have to <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. Can you send me a picture of your sofa first? I don't really trust you.
1: I haven't really got a sofa, the rabbit ate
0: it. With the online boom going to outlast the the drama, the quarantine, the, the situation that we're in, and I think it is, I mean, so apparently one-fifth of retailers have closed already, done, door shut, not reopening. You know, I only do online retail, and for me, I you know, I'm doing well. Like I haven't seen a, a bad effect on the business. So it's really interesting that people are sitting there. But you, you had a shop for a while. You had a shop for a while. I did did yeah. you never
1: have a shop again?
0: No, I honestly wouldn't because not that I'm saying we expect global pandemics, but for everybody sitting in my position right now with a retail shop hanging over them, they're really in the shit. You know, so many brands I know are not going to survive this, but we've kept our overhead so low and we're just doing online sales and it's a good business model.
1: No, it is, but, you know, this this comes back to the uh, earlier conversation about bailouts. You know, the future is all about resilience. How can you create a a company that is resilient in a crisis? And we've Mm -hmm. had a decade where people haven't thought about that. Debt has been cheap and easy. Uh, You know, growth has been slow, but okay, And people haven't stopped to think about what happens uh, when you hit a mega crisis. Not not much in the way of cash piles, not much in the way of flexible business models, etc. So, you know, that is a thing that that people will think about from here. So you may see people with uh, businesses with many fewer retail, physical retail destinations, but those destinations perhaps with more flexible terms around them. So the people possibly you should be worrying about here are the landlords.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, quite frankly, I think all we really need is John Lewis to reopen. If John Lewis reopens, the world is
1: fine again. Well, you're right. And uh, and they have been talking about that. In fact, it's not far off John Lewis reopening, isn't it? I mean, I live very close to John Lewis. And when my son was little, um, when he was but you know, sort of two, three, I suddenly realized that he thought John Lewis, he didn't realize it was a brand name. He thought it was a generic word for shop. Or I thought you were going to say he thought it was your boyfriend. (laughs) No? No, we're an old fashioned family.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone suspects me of having a boyfriend. It's always the quiet ones, Maren. It's always the ones we least expect. So the other booming industry is gambling and you've turned into a proper gambler since lockdown, haven't you?
1: Oh, I mean yes yes I mean we horse racing I mean the thing is that um um I, you know there comes a point when you think to yourself well what are my children learning during this lockdown thing you know we, we're both working my husband and I and we're both working full-time at our various uh, bits of desk space in the house and the children are doing their their online learning with the school or 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 not looking at TikTok one or the other I'm not sure And in the evenings, I think to myself, well, I can't really teach them any of anything of academic use, but you know what? I can teach them to play poker. Yeah. <laughs> and I can teach them roulette. Yeah. And I can teach them racing demon. I can teach them all kinds of stuff that you can bet on. And that's kind of like a maths lesson. Yeah, but slightly, slightly. I mean, you've been taking mum
0: into it every night. Mum kind of brings me the next morning going, oh, Arthur's horse won last
1: night. You know, <laughs> that is true. We have two types of roulette. We have normal casino roulette, and we also have horse racing roulette. And yes, we you have the the grannies and the grandpas dial in to FaceTime roulette with us. But online gambling is—is is this a thing? Has it
0: really, really boomed? Is this like a?
1: Yeah, I mean, anything that that, that people can do at home when they're bored has boomed, and, and this is this is one of those things. I mean, are you not online gambling? No, I'm not
0: actually, <laughs> but I might start tonight. <laughs> Now, listen, if you're offered a mortgage holiday, but you don't actually need one, should you take it?
1: No, you shouldn't. I mean, the thing about a mortgage holiday is that if you need one, you should definitely take it because um, that just means you get the three months without having to pay your mortgage. gives you a little bit of breathing space, but it doesn't go away. Those payments are still there. They get added onto the debt. They roll up the interest and they're there at the end. Now, this is not a great big deal in the great scheme of things. Three months on your mortgage at the end of the term. Uh, But if you don't need to do it, why would you do that? Mortgage freedom is a wonderful thing. The sooner you can get rid of your mortgage, the better. So no is the answer. Um, although I suspect that your answer is still yes, because if you take a three month mortgage holiday, then you can spend more money at the end of lockdown. But that's not my advice to most people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've become quite grown up, so grown up that I'm even sitting here going, I know I have asked you this before, but is now the time I should put money into my ISA? And I know you're going to say what's in my ISA, but if it's just kind of slightly high risk stocks and shares, ISA would now be the time to put my
1: money in. Okay, you are moving along big time because last time we had this ISA conversation, you didn't appear to know (laughs) that an ISA was a wrapper into which you put stuff. You seem to think it was a thing in itself. So for those listeners who are a bit like Tabitha, an ISA is not a thing in itself. It is not an investment in itself. It is a wrapper. So think of it like um, a box that you take to a storage company. The box itself is not the thing. The stuff you put in the box is the thing. And so an ISA is a tax efficient wrapper into which you can put almost any kind of investment. So it's like it's like getting a box from Net-a-Porter and inside
0: it is a really beautiful Armani dress. Yeah,
1: or a really crap oil stock. <laughs> okay. So you can put into your tax efficient box anything you like. So when you say a high risk stocks are, uh, stock and shares ISA. That depends what you think high risk is. Depends what you think low risk is. Uh, depends where you think the global economy is going. Depends what you think about the stock market. Now, the stock market is, at the moment, some people would say 100% rational. Some people would say absolutely bonkers. But basically, what it's been doing is ricocheting between um, a fear and FOMO, basically. So yeah. when... Uh, when we first started this crisis, the stock market fell very dramatically. Um, everyone was absolutely terrified, full on fear. And then it bounced again really quickly. And the more it bounced, the more it bounced because of FOMO, right? Everyone's getting yeah. in at the same time. And that's where you are now. You are at, you're in the FOMO stage. I am, I'm like, <laughs>
0: shit, should I have done it? So my husband did it a few weeks ago and I'm like, shit,
1: shit, shit, have I missed it. What do I do now or do I wait? Cause it's okay. down again. So now now there's a lot of people who are saying there's going to be a retesting of the lows. So we're going to go back down to where we were before to see if we go any lower and see what happens. But, you know, then you have to ask the people who are predicting a fall to the low. Is that because they're terrified of what's going to happen next in the global economy? Or is it because they really, really hope that it goes back to another low so they get another chance to buy in at the bottom? Yeah. Basically, from here, the answer is no one has any idea. Any idea at all. An awful lot of stocks are even more expensive now than they were before this crisis began, which is you know, absurd in itself. But what's happening here is that central banks around the world are shucking money at this problem. They are throwing money into the economy. The stimulus is absolutely amazing. In the US, it's around 12% of GDP a year, it's around 8% of GDP. Across the globe, you're talking 4% plus of GDP. The amount of new money being thrown into economies, thrown into markets is absolutely vast. So what you've got here is basically a battle, a battle between, between the impulse of the market to say, whoa, profits are falling, companies in a bit of trouble, this is a bit orkies, the market isn't worth quite what it was before, and the flood of stimulus, coming from public authorities, which is basically saying we can hold this market up. Yeah. So basically no one knows. The question is, can they hold it up? Can they hold it up long enough to get to the other side to when the economy kicks off again?
0: Should I put my money under my mattress? Is that the safest place for it? Do not put your
1: money under the mattress because you'll forget about it.
0: No, I did, you know, when we lived in that little flat in Lena Gardens in Shepherd's Bush and I was a waitress. Oh I swear to God, I've never been so rich in my life. I've never had so much money. And I came home every night and I put all my tips under the mattress. Did you ever know that? All I knew is that I could never get you to pay
1: a share of the electricity bill or the water bill or the council tax.
0: should have looked under the mattress, love. That's where it all was. Well, I wish I'd known because I had to pay all your bills myself. Never oh, recovered. God, here we go. Jesus Christ, <laughs> I'm going to get an invoice tomorrow. I haven't
1: got any money. You <laughs> used to say, I haven't got any money. Now we know, don't we? It all comes out here. <laughs> all comes out eventually. So what you need to do, Tabitha, what yep. you need to do is make sure that you... I mean, do you, even, do you have an ISA account? Where is your ISA account? I actually do. I actually do. Where? Yeah.
0: Where? Through some people. They do it for me. And I send them the money and then they
1: tell me which account to put it in. They might not even be real. <laughs> like- is it a platform? Is it called Interactive Investor? Hogwarts Lansdown? No. AJ Bell? No. This could go on for a really long time. When you send the money...
0: Yeah. Do you choose what you buy? No, 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 no. That would be insane. We'll talk about this later. This could go on for a very long time. Okay, we
1: we need to come. We're going to come back to this one when we finish this podcast because we yeah. need to talk about this. I imagine that you're being charged so much for this. I, anyway, point is that, um, yes, you should be invested in the market, but no, you should not be trying to time the top and the bottom. Um, sometimes sometimes that, that is easier than other times. Right now, it's very hard. You should be putting money in on a regular basis into a variety of different investments because life is very unpredictable right now. And you should have some gold.
0: And you'd have some gold. There's an interesting fact before we move on to property, which is my next thing. Did you know my husband is a geologist? You knew that. He tells me that only an Olympic sized swimming pool amount of gold has ever been mined. That's right. Isn't that an amazing fact? I think that fact staggers people. And I pull it out at a dinner party when I'm trying to impress a bloke or,
1: you know, trying to look clever. They never believe me. Mm. No, it's, it's, uh, this is why people love it so much. It's very, very limited supply. Yeah. It holds value. And there's a limited amount of it. That makes it just about the only thing in the world and cryptocurrency people can, can get in touch later, but makes it currently <laughs> just about the only thing in the world that we can consider to be real money. Real money maintains its value. Now property, obviously you always have a lot of
0: opinions on property. You, you know, I was thinking very much about buying a place in Florida. So interestingly, I was speaking to my friends in Florida last week who run law firms that basically go in and get the properties when people default on their Mortgages. So they said to me, if I wait 220 days from now, that is when most people will default on their mortgages in the States. So if in 220 days. Fascinating. Why 220 days? 180 days is what they're given to try and pay their mortgage. Uh-huh. And then after the 180 mm. days, it's up to the landlord. And then they'll normally get another 30 to 50 days. Up to the landlord, up to the mortgage company. Mortgage company, sorry, yes thought that was quite interesting.
1: So what you're asking is, is it going to be
0: a property crash? Can I get something very cheaply, right? Yeah, slightly in in America, but also in the UK. I mean, I'm actually um, reading something today saying that in the UK, they think property prices outside of London are going to rise because if so many people are working from home and everything's going to change and people want more space, that people are going to be desperate to get out of the inner cities. And actually Mm -hmm. prices fall in London and prices rise out of London. And I thought that was quite an interesting take on it.
1: Oh, it's enti- entirely possible. Entirely possible. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about will there be an actual crash yeah. post-virus? You know, right now, there's no information. There's no data. The market is completely frozen. No one buying, no one selling. So the transactions that you do see, they're not normal. They're, they're not typical transactions. We have no data. They're just telling us anything at the moment. But for there to be a crash, you need a couple of things to happen. So you need a very high level of rate of unemployment and you need interest rates to begin to rise. Now, Interest rates are unlikely to rise in the short term. Also, you've got an awful lot of people on fixed rates. And of course, mortgage lenders are being asked to be very generous. Forbearance is the name of the game. So they're being asked to be as generous as they possibly can with people. Everyone's got a mortgage holiday at the moment, so everyone should come out the other end without any particular troubles paying their mortgage. Yeah. So it comes down to how high do you expect unemployment to be and how much do you expect that to impact, which brings us back to... Where we began. Your fee, your Nike, your both, whatever. But I think we can... I'll, Guess can probably be that prices overall coming out the other end will be at best stagnant. If people have trouble getting new mortgages, say, for example, lots of companies have gone bust and the banks are having trouble uh, coming up with new credits, so they're unwilling to lend against houses, you may find there's a limited amount of mortgage credit at the other end of this, and that would make it difficult for people to move, to upgrade, to buy new houses, etc. But I do agree with you that there is an excellent chance that we might see London prices flat falling. And we may see prices outside at a distance to cities that in the past wouldn't have been reasonable to commute to. But if you now know that you're only going to commute twice a week or maybe once a week, because homeworking is going to become uh, much more prevalent than it was before, then you're prepared to go further. So whereas in the past, you might've been able to cope with a 40-minute commute or a one hour commute. Now you can probably say, well, do you know if I'm going to do that once a week? It could be two hours. It could be two and a half hours. So yes, those places just a little bit further from the main cities, from say uh, London, Edinburgh, whatever, should be better than any inner city places. Coastal towns. Who doesn't like to look at the sea?
0: I know. Who doesn't want to live in Cornwall? I'd love I so miss the sea. Oh, God, it's amazing. So, I mean, as we sit here today and we'll look back on this first show, how do you see this all looking at the end? Where are we going to come out? How different is our world going to be? Because you have said before you don't necessarily think it is going to be that different on the end and that a lot of us will just go back to life how it was.
1: Hmm. I I still think that, you know, there's a great, great incentive at a time like this for everyone to start talking about how things will be different. And when they talk about what will be different, they're not really talking about what they rationally think will happen. They tend to be thinking about what they want to happen. Hmm. So you hear a lot about, you know, after the crisis, uh, wealth will be more fairly distributed lives will be better, things will change, sick pay will go up, uh, we'll be more equal, wealth will be more fairly distributed, we'll all work from home, we'll, uh, we'll be closer to our families, we'll, we'll care more about the little things in life, we'll care less about possessions. And I was reading today about how after this, millennials aren't going to be, or young people aren't going to be so interested in paying for experiences anymore because experiences have become devalued. Uh, no one wants to travel, no one wants to be in large groups, uh, etc. and they'll buy more stuff again. But, in fact, I doubt that. Everyone, they'll go back to wanting experiences. It won't take long before we all want all the same things that, that we wanted before. So you might see marginal changes, like, as I say, working from home more, because now now everyone who is anti-working from home before now sees that technology exists and it's perfectly easy. There's no reason for everyone to be crammed together in a tiny amount of office space in London. Um, will we drive less? Will you drive less after this? I don't think I you don't will. I think so. I, I mean, I got in the car yesterday so exciting! And will you go abroad less than you than you have before? Um, I doubt you'll want to. You may find that it's a lot more expensive because if you have to social distance on planes for a couple of years, then uh, you know the price for a ticket is going to go up substantially. But it's not going to change what you want to do. So I'm 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 very wary of this idea that the future is very different. Remember, this is very short term. You know, it's only been what has it been now? Five weeks for us here in the UK, and if it's over in eight or nine weeks might feel like a long time now, but in the great scheme of, it's nothing. It's not gonna be over in eight or nine
0: weeks because it's really not gonna be over till they have a vaccine and that, that is next year, I mean.
1: No, it's over. it's over when there's a successful cure. It's over when one of the many antiviral drugs, uh, which is being tested at the moment, there are piles of them, it's over when one of those drugs can be shown to bring the death rate down to a very low level. That's when it's over. Okay. Well,
0: I mean, I think that's a very positive outlook.
1: I don't. Think and there's a lot of very, very encouraging research. There's loads of antiviral job, drugs uh, that have been developed for use against other viruses. Some of them are already showing good results. So, you know, I don't think it's necessary to be too negative about this.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. I'm going to speak to you daily and you'll make me feel more positive. And then maybe everybody's <laughs> not baking banana bread. Why is everybody baking fucking banana bread? I've been making soda bread. Oh, I made soda bread the other day. From a packet. I added water. From a packet? Why do you need a packet? you got not ingredients. cream! <laughs> what do you need a packet for? Because then I don't have to mix the ingredients, and this packet arrived, and it said soda bread mix, add some water, and I added water, and I presented it to my husband like it was the fucking holy grail, and it was all hot, and he put butter on it, and he thought I came from the heavens. He didn't know it
1: came from a packet. You literally need flour, milk, and either baking soda or bicarbonate. I mean that's literally it and a little bit of butter. You do not need a packet. It's like making a Mary Berry chocolate
0: cake. If you try Why to, would you do that? Because if you try to do it yourself, it never tastes as good as a Mary Berry.
1: Christ. I made mine with buckwheat flour by the way. It was very nice
0: yeah all right so and then um and then we all need to social bubble that, that's the next thing isn't it i'm already getting angst about who's going to be in my bubble down here because that's going to cause all kind of political fallout with all the um middle class yummy mummies around here who are going to be all upset whether you're in their bubble not in their bubble all that jazz hmm, you think they're all going to want to be in your bubble <laughs> or are you going to be upset because no one's going to want to be in your bubble i don't know who'd be in my bubble nobody has asked me to be in their bubble and then one somebody said to me yesterday she said oh, I've just been saying yes to everybody who's asked me to be in their bubble because I didn't want to offend anyone and I went oh, she's know, already getting it is she <laughs> me too <laughs> no one's asked me to be in that bubble not one person good okay well it's been amazing <laughs> I did too much of the talking next time I think we need to talk more about fashion and wallpaper and stuff yeah I know I'll give you lots of hints next time on how you should be shitting up your house during quarantine we'll also be talking to lots of different business owners as we go along and um people who we think you'll find interesting about finance and business and surviving mm-hmm. the time. and Meryn might talk less it's possible. It's not, it's, not, it's not guaranteed, but it's a possible Yeah, No, I'm, I would definitely talk less. In fact, I think I might have said everything I have to say already now. Oh, thank God for that. Episode two will be much more <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Until next Goodbye, one. Tabitha. Thank you.